Good evening. The Calm Christian here. I hope everybody's had a nice evening or is having one, whatever your time zone. God doesn't have time zones. It's one great big moment of now, one great big moment of wow. But I'm not God. I had a rest and I was going to relax, but something I wanted to say. You know, I want to be calm. I want to give spaces to my words. Not because I'm a weirdo. I would like you to be able to think. I would like to be able to take a breath so God can speak to you between the spaces, between the interstitions. I'm a guy who wants to fit in a ton of words in a small space of time. I'm deliberately slowing myself down. I've been asked in church to read the Bible and pray in the Baptist church. And when I was younger, I was also asked to to do things, read things, come to the front, even give a couple of sermons. I really didn't have a trusting, loving relationship with Jesus, but I wanted to do what is right. I was Saturday-centric, Sabbath-centric, not Jesus-centric. I knew there was a Jesus, but he was kind of like a hood ornament in the front of my car, kind of out there, kind of small, kind of up there, but yet moving away from me. Jesus was my hood ornament in front of me, but he's not really, I'm kind of behind him. He's way off in the distance. He's pursuing me, it says, but it seems like I'm driving and I can't get him any closer. I did the best I could with what I knew. But the point is, is that I would talk really fast. You can call me motor mouth. Because when I go up to the front, everything shakes. My legs shake. And I don't like it. I feel like a sissy. I feel like a weakling. Some people say that speaking in front of the public is like a, um, a fate far worse than death. I think I might be one of those people. But I can't sit around being comfortable. People say, do you want to be, are you comfortable? It doesn't matter if I am or not. It's if I'm called to do something, if God wants me to use my big fat mouth, then I better use it. Whether I'm comfortable or not. I, I said to myself, Lord, why do people keep asking me to do things? Because I'm here in church to serve. I'm not here to sit on my rear end and hear a sermon only. I can find easy things to serve but I'm here to serve. I'm here to do something. I'm here to use my talents and some of my bad talents, even for God. And I said, Lord, why do you, why do you let this happen to me? Like I want to serve, but I, I just don't feel fluid. The answer comes to me in second Corinthians 12, and I'm not looking at it right now. The answer is my grace is sufficient for you. 
Lord, I don't want grace. I want, uh, I want cash. I want money. I want talents. Give me power. Grace is power. God says he's with me. That's all I need to know. Get up and do it. If you like what you're doing, like if you have a talent for it, you'll do it. If you really, really hate it, I guess you'll worm out of it. But you might find out you're actually good at it if you keep practicing. I personally think the reason Oprah Winfrey could talk so well and she was rich is because she was she was honing her skill in church. They were asking her to sing and do stuff. I, I can't be um, 100% sure because I don't really follow Oprah that much. But everybody knows who she is. I would say God gave her her start. She would say, there's no Jesus, many ways to God. That's cool. Well, I think with Oprah, even though she's preaching that, she's actually promoting Jesus in a backwards way. How can I say that? Because if you're promoting a gospel that says there are many ways to God, basically what you're casting attention on Jesus, because he said, I'm the only way to God. So by Oprah saying that there are many ways to God, she may be down demeaning Jesus and downplaying him, but in order to downplay him, you have to acknowledge who he is. <laughs> it's actually working against you. But when you say that there are many ways to God, God is the one who gave you the start in church that was promoted by Jesus. The Christian church is supposed to be started by Je Jesus. is the CEO of the Christian church, not Peter, not the papacy, and not anybody else who starts a church, and especially not a person who says that they're getting visions from God. You're not in charge of the church. Jesus is the CEO of the church. The Baptist church was started by somebody named Roger Williams and a pack of other guys. Roger Williams is not my prophet. He's probably a very nice man. He came from the Church of England. He was on a boat. I saw this in a movie. And he was on a boat. Comes with his wife. I think a bunch of guys try to censor him. Is it the Massachusetts Bay Colony or the Rhode Island Colony? Something, Massachusetts Bay. They try to stop him from talking. He refuses. It's an old black and white thing on YouTube. It's not the, I, I didn't really read it too much. I read something on Wikipedia. Then he, then he has to flee. He goes, uh, he goes uh, into the wilderness for a year, hang out with the Indians. I don't know, when he comes back, the movie ends when he comes back. And then I guess he must've started the Baptist church. Started worshiping the Baptist church. The Baptist church was, you know, the church that meets on Sunday, the first day of the week. Supposedly the Lord's Day, supposedly Sunday, supposedly S-O-N day, supposedly the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And he starts that church. There was another guy who started a Seventh-day Baptist church. Some other guy, maybe some Dutch dude. They said Roger Williams actually for the Baptist church, but they mentioned another name too. I forgot the other name. Let's just say it's Roger Williams, but he ain't my prophet. He ain't my savior. He's dead. It's supposed to be Jesus is the CEO of the church. Jesus doesn't need to compete with anybody else. Okay, if Jesus is the Lone Ranger, he don't, with all due respect to Tonto, we'd have got no Tonto here. Jesus is first and foremost. We worship an unseen God and we worship him through an unseen Messiah.
I think my podcast is evolving past what I wanted to say, so I don't need to. I'll do what I wanted to say later. And I'm going to look up a Bible verse that I think is relevant to what I just said. So you see, I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants. But maybe God wanted me to. He wanted me to go off on a tangent because this is what I needed to say, not the other thing. I want to look up a verse here. First of all, John 5, 16. And it says, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. That's what the ESV says. It also says in verse 18, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Wow. When I was young, I was told that you can't break the Sabbath. You have to keep it holy. You cannot watch TV. You cannot watch cartoons. You can't watch secular shows. You you shouldn't be doing cooking on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath. Well, we did it anyways. I've heard of people who were like preparing all their food beforehand. You didn't go swimming, like you didn't go swimming with your friends or in Daytona Beach. What else? You didn't play hockey. If you wanted to play hockey. You didn't do any like karate classes or hang out with the, you know, you didn't, you went to church. You had a potluck, you went home, took a rest. You went to the park. I've told people this and they're like, you know, people in the Christian church. Yeah, okay, Saturday's the Sabbath. But they don't have the stringent view of Saturday. Sure, yeah, it's the seventh day. Why not? Sure. But to them, it's just, it's whatever you want to do. You want to hang out with your friends. You want to go to to the mall. You want to chill because it's the day after Friday. We've had a five crushing week work week, five day crushing work week. Rest means what what you define it. It's an individual thing. It's not a corporate thing. When the church that I was part of was forming, they decided everybody would keep the Sabbath monthly. They would, so from Friday night all the way to Saturday night, you would, I don't know what they did. They didn't really meet, I guess. Maybe they did. And then finally decided, okay, we're going to do it weekly now. So the, the rules were re- evolving. Who defined those rules? The people who created the organization that I came from? Did God define those rules? Did God say that I couldn't watch CNN? Did God say I couldn't go to my high school graduation? Did God say that? God didn't say any of that in the Bible. He didn't say any of that in the Old Testament. Us things we were told, and we didn't vet out what we were told. We just assumed our leaders are telling us the truth. They're speaking for God. We should listen to men. Did not the Jewish leaders before Jesus, did they not have the Mishnah and the Talmud and all these things to tell people how far they could walk on Saturday, how much work they were carrying? They defined everything. You can't carry this weight. 
If you walk more than a mile, then you're breaking the Sabbath. You can't carry your bed. You can't do this and you can't do that. It's really not what you can do. It's not really resting before God. It's actually unrest. It's stress. If I break these laws, I have violated the Sabbath day. So basically, Jesus comes along and he totally seems to trash that. He says, he just, wait a minute, Jesus Christ is coming from the same God that gave Moses the Ten Commandment law, plus the other stuff. And Jesus says, I'm coming from the same person. And he's not even paying attention to the seven. I bet you the religious leaders were freaked out. They were chasing after him all the time about the seven, all the time. He would go heal somebody. You can't, you can't heal them on, on the Sabbath day. Jesus says, wait a second. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. You get to decide the rest principles. And it's very confusing because I know there's a passage in the Bible. I know there's something in the Bible where this guy's picking up sticks in either Exodus or Numbers or Deuteronomy. I can't find it right now because I'm talking, I can't look. I wish I had that photographic memory. I don't have it. So they grabbed this guy. Moses said to God, what am I going to do? They said, what are we going to do with him? Moses says, I got to get an answer from God. According to what I read in the Bible, God said to him, kill the guy with the sticks. So they stoned the dude. And in Exodus 16, I know in Exodus 16, they start mentioning the Sabbath day. They've never. So Exodus 16, Moses now mentioning this Sabbath day. The word Sabbath has never been mentioned before. The Sabbath laws given in Exodus 20 verse 8, where remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So the commandment is given four chapters before the actual stick debacle. The word Sabbath has never been mentioned before with Abraham or anybody else. Did God tell Abraham to rest on the seventh day? But it just wasn't mentioned. How come Job and Noah and all these guys are doing animal sacrifices? It wasn't mentioned till Exodus and Deuteronomy. It, it wasn't like codified or made official. They're still doing it. I mean, Abel did a sacrifice, did he not? Abel sacrificed a lamb. Where did who, where did he get that from? God must have told him. God must could did God did God tell him, hey, keep the Sabbath? It's not mentioned. Why should you follow rules that are not mentioned till they're mentioned? Like the Bible is a progressive reveal. Do you know what I mean? It seems to me that God progressively reveals his will. Because he says, I change not. What does that mean? Does it mean God is stagnant? Does it mean God is really the God of the Old Testament and, and the God of the New Testament is kind of fakey fakey? In Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. This is what it says. Genesis 15, 6. And he, I guess Abraham, believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. 
Doesn't that sound by righteousness by faith? Doesn't that sound more like the New Testament than the Old Testament? The Old Testament was given in Deuteronomy 5 or Exodus 20. After 400 years had rolled around, the children of Israel at the bottom and then Moses has to be sent down, kind of like a, like a Messiah. He's kind of like God's Messiah. He's, he comes down from the desert after being exiled for 40 years and shows up and says to Pharaoh, the God of this world, the God who's making them work like hell, hey, you're overworking these people. Can we go sacrifice? Nope. Can't have them. Moses keeps asking nice. God sends them a plague. Pharaoh says, oh, okay, I'll let it go. Then as soon as the plague is gone, nope. Then God says to Moses, hey, you better prepare to leave because this last one's going to be a bad one. Kids start dying. Okay? Pharaoh was killing their kids. Kind of like our society with the whole abortion thing. And all of a sudden, God now kills the firstborn. The firstborn. What was Jesus again? He was the firstborn. He took the brunt of all our sins. Pharaoh's firstborn gets killed. Did you ever see the Ten Commandments movie with Yul Brenner? He calls in Charleston Heston News Moses, take your flocks, your people, and get out. He's, he's been beat up, and this time there's no reversal of choice. Get out. I'm sick of you people. Guy's lost his son. He's lost his kingdom. He's lost everything. Do not be fighting Yahweh. Do not be fighting the Messiah of Yahweh. You will find yourself on the losing side. The Jews don't believe that Jesus represents the true God. One guy in a video who says that he's accepted Jesus. So this, there's this videos on YouTube. These people sit in the chair and they're Jewish and they've decided that Jesus is the true Messiah. Some of them are religious Jews and some of them are secular Jews who have decided to become Christians. One guy says, I thought Jesus was a Catholic. <laughs> I went to a church, right? An evangelical church. And the guy says... I was wearing a tie because I always wore a tie, you know, suit and tie. It's my, it's my. He asked, the dude asked me what I am. Well, I'm searching for God. I wasn't rebaptized. I wasn't member. He says to me, he was a nice guy. His name was Hugh. He was in charge of marriage counseling. He says, I thought you were a Catholic. I said, why? Because you're wearing a tie. <laughs> the Catholics do do the reverence thing quite of well. Maybe in our church, we're a little bit too flip. That's my opinion. I'm entitled to it. I don't throw my opinion at you. I offer it to you. Remember what I said about Romans 14? You get to decide how you want to worship, what you want to wear, what version of the Bible you want to bring, what music you want to play. You get to decide individually. And if you go to a church that doesn't feel the same way, ah, go to a different church or go to the church that has praise and music and then go home and play your own hymns. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Don't get all bent out of shape about it. You'll never find a perfect church. As my friend John used to say, you know what? 
If you find the perfect church, don't join it because then you'll ruin it. <laughs> We're all sinners. We're all bent out of shape. A man once said to me, We're all like porcupines. We want to get together, but it hurts. We've all got little nasty quills. And as soon as we try to get close to somebody else, they've got their own little quills too. It's called sin. You're never going to be 100% aligned to anybody on this planet, this side of heaven. We should try to be, but the reality is there's going to be jabs and barbs. And you're going to have to forgive people who have hurt you. And they're going to have to forgive you. You might have to look in the mirror and say, maybe I did wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Because if you can't say that, you're a self-centered Christian. And you can't be with God and Jesus. There are three words that self-centered people cannot say. There are three words that Satan cannot say to God right now. Maybe when he has to bow the knee at the end of time, he's going to say those words, but he's not saying it now. I don't know if he doesn't know how to say it. He does, I don't think he knows how to say it. He can't repent. He has no more Holy Spirit. Do you know what the three words are? Does anybody want to guess? What are the three words that help relationships go? I am sorry. They're the magic three words that you say at the cross. If you want to bow down to what was an instrument of death and proclaim that the man who died on there full of his own blood, asphyxiating in his own edema of his own heart as he suffocated slowly to death and as he had heart fluid, he had heart failure. If you want to acknowledge him as the son of God, you say, I am sorry. And the cross, which was a curse in the Old Testament, becomes your salvation because God accomplished salvation through what we did to Jesus, the Gentiles, and what the Jews did to Jesus, the Jews. God accomplished salvation by our ignorance and our arrogance. He gave us something which we did not give him. Mercy. Jesus was other-centered. I will die so that you can live. The devil is self-centered. He's the exact opposite. The devil's motto is, I will kill you. You will die so that I will live. What side do you want to be on for all eternity? What's the God-centric side? What's the relationship side? What's the soft-hearted side? My podcast totally morphed into what I had. I'll do what I wanted to do another time. Maybe God wanted me to say this. 
Maybe somebody cares to hear it. Maybe I needed to remind myself that this is not me telling you what to think. This is about me asking you to think about what I tell you. Because I have to apply what I just said to myself. Be the change you want to see in the world. God bless you all. Thank you for your 24 minutes of time. May the Holy Spirit use the spaces between my words to talk to you because your Father in Heaven wants you back full throttle.